How can the soft limits of AI-generated words aid in establishing your product's pricing? How does the token limit correlate to the number of words? What are some strategies for attacking the challenges of file processing on the Salesforce platform? Welcome to Artificial Intelligence Innovations Meets App Exchange, the bi-weekly show that explores the impact of AI in the Salesforce ecosystem. I'm Jakub Stefaniak, Salesforce Certified Technical Architect and VP of Technology Strategy and Innovation at Akiva Labs, where we help App Exchange partners accelerate their adoption of the latest technologies and get the most out of their Salesforce partnership. In each episode, we sit down with leaders from App Exchange ecosystem to discuss the latest trends and innovation in AI, product development opportunities, and ethical considerations. Our goal is to address critical challenges faced by business, build a community of engaged professionals, and provide insights into the latest trends and innovation in AI to help you stay informed and ahead of the curve. So, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of AI and App Exchange. Awesome, thank you for accepting our invitation. Could you at the beginning introduce yourself and your role in App Exchange ecosystem? Jakob, hey, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Great to be on your podcast. I'm Michael Leach. Our app on the App Exchange is iDialog. And iDialog was launched with a mission and vision of one to one personalized dialogues with CRM data. And the architecture is fundamentally built on Salesforce files and libraries. So our AI chatbots and, and GPT flows fundamentally get their intelligence from existing documents or new documents like FAQs, marketing collateral, product guides, support knowledge bases. And our three primary solutions, we have AI assistance, what we call file GPT and flow GPT. Okay. And your application is like a single managed package or you have like a few offerings? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a single managed package. And then we have a variety of extension packages or on our website, what we refer to as accelerators. So they're prepackaged either industry solutions or cloud solutions. Awesome. And everything is implemented as a native Salesforce application, or you somehow send the files out of the Salesforce org? Yeah, so iDialog as an API is, is external. So technically, we would be a hybrid application on the App Exchange. And we do a lot of fan out from the API so that these AI chatbots can integrate with Stripe for payments, document generation, OpenAI, Amazon for OCR. So we manage a lot of the, the agency on the back end through our API. And because it's a REST API, we have some customers building Android mobile apps, iPhone apps that just go direct to the API. And so I would consider our Salesforce app exchange app probably the biggest and most feature-rich client consumer of that iDialog API. That perfectly makes sense. And as we all know, processing files on Salesforce platform is not easy. And there are many limitations on the Git platform is what I was expecting to hear. So I suppose that doing it off-platform allow you to as well have a limitation in terms of, for example, file of size and maximum number of questions which you can proceed, right? 
Yeah, exactly. We're, we fundamentally started with Salesforce files and doing some on the generative side, document generation and templates. And the file size really kind of necessitates moving those into our bucket within the API. And then we get into a series of a data pipeline in those files. So there's some text chunking, there's some vectorizing and embeddings, there's some merge tag parsing. And those types of processes happen within our API. And you know we've gone through full security on those platforms where we're managing the documents. That makes sense. But does it mean that every time when I'm planning to start this semantic search on a file is going to be like send via API and then you're going to proceed it, put in the vector database and so on? Or you have like kind of a copy of all files from Salesforce org? Yeah, we're, we, we do use Salesforce flows for our filtering mechanisms. So, so for example, natively, when a file is uploaded to Salesforce, Interestingly, there is not a record trigger event on a content version or a content document record. So that's an example of we have a lightweight trigger mechanism and we raise some platform events. And then typically in the last mile, admins and developers have full control over those platform events. So every event that happens within a document lifecycle can be consumed. And we do provide some out of the box, like our own templates. And we're progressively moving into prepackaging AI models that are dependent on certain files, certain records be in place. And those go through the full kind of AI processing flow. So we try to keep it seamless. I think with our focus on small to mid market, we realize the end user for us sometimes is actually a small business owner is doing the installation and configuration, or it's a Salesforce admin that has cross-functional responsibility and they're really busy. So always the, the product manager in me is always looking to kind of keep that frictionless so that they're not worrying about, hey, where are my files? Are they distributed across two clouds and in an index? I mean, I just try to, for me, a perfect user experience is kind of seamless and they feel like they're working with Salesforce files. But in the back end, we're actually, you know, the vector database and that infrastructure is separate. Yeah, so we are literally hiding this complexity. And when I seen some uh, screenshots of your application, the part which looks really interesting is this chat-like interface in AI Assistant when someone is asking, does this code require approval? And then your AI is giving responses and justification. Could you explain us how it works? Yeah, sure. So we, we started by creating a chat GPT interface to files. So this would be chatting with PDFs, Microsoft Word documents, images, and saw uh, immediate adoption and uptake with lawyers, you know, who just want to do some lightweight prompts, who is the, who's the lesser or lessee in these legal documents. And I started realizing that, broadly speaking, a GPT prompt is just a very large text file. So we were able to kind of parlay our file-based technology. And I was looking for something like, I was looking for some sort of workflow assembly tool to construct these large tech doc, text documents in real time. And so we settled on Salesforce flows. And I think the demo you're talking about is a very interesting one. I, I have a background in, in CPQ and configure price quoting solutions, which 
I think is probably one of the most complex domains within the Salesforce ecosystem to challenge with AI. So these these CPQ-like text files, they get dynamically constructed. They pull in product rules, price rules, quote rules. And the great thing about GPT is it's premised on natural language understanding. I mean, I can go to a VP sales and I can say, just send me an email of all the rules you can think of that would trigger an approval for an opportunity. And that normally happens within the process of a sales implementation and, you know, business analysts would collect those requirements and then they would throw it over the fence and that goes into weeks and months of declarative configuration. But what you can do with that actual email from a VP of sales is that is the source code. That is the model. So we, we dynamically build a text document on the fly around a, say an opportunity or a quote, and we inject some context. Here is the actual shopping cart of products. Here's customer information. And then it kind of culminates in what you referred to is like, does this quote require approval? And it just goes through thousands of natural language definitions and words. And in the end, it's just magic. This uh, goes through its logic and reasoning to, to be the middleware, so to speak. But does it mean that the specific rules based on which AI is take, mm, making the decision, does it require approval or not, are coming from the Salesforce or configuration? Is it correct? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think with iDialog, we're, we're chatting with data. And so AI does not replace the need for data or good quality data. So I think that premise, uh, CRM implementation will stay the same. But the middleware, when we get into validation rules, when we get into product pricing and approval rules, I think that is where we're seeing AI can handle more of natural language expression of those rules rather than declarative. And if you think back to Salesforce, it's always been on this arc of declarative configuration and that clicks over code. And then that marketing message has progressed to no code. And to the degree this NLU, natural language understanding paradigm, or some people call it a 4GL, that term has been around a while, but I actually think we are on the, the precipice of an actual fourth generation languages, which is just purely defining your system requirements in natural language. And it can be in Polish, it could be in German or English. The thing with these LLMs is they're not really particular. I mean, they've been trained on a core subset, maybe they're strong in 30 or 40 languages, and that's getting, there's more breadth to that. But we're also going to see an expansion of my developers in the Philippines. I mean, they're able, I encourage them to use Tagalog if they want to express some rules, and then they can go through transformers and get that into some ultimate output. But yeah, it's a very expressive environment and, and it's starting to be used in business rules. Yeah, that's very interesting. And what I'm thinking about is that by default, if you proceed in this way along the documents, it means that you utilize lots of tokens. So the cost of this API cost can be quite high. But on the other hand, you are charging your users per month, per org, and I'm curious, how do you tackle this business aspect? 
Yeah, that's a very good question, um, Jakob. The should AI, which AI models should be user license based, which are org based, which are usage based? And I've honestly been losing a lot of sleep over this question for a while. We are org based, and my goal, companies that I like, are based on, for example, Snowflake, which is kind of a credit based. And my goal would be for a company to find the right size, a monthly amount they're comfortable with to start with and make AI prove itself over time. And as they start utilizing it and you know, they will discover the paths pretty quickly where AI is adding value. It's, it's very difficult as an outsider to come into a business and know, I mean, you can present a turnkey solution but that value oftentimes isn't user-based. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that we offer customer-facing chatbots as well. And I cannot really rationalize like a per user in that kind of context, depending on how they, a company or organization chooses to utilize AI. I, what I think is, is the fairest model is some abstraction to the token-based model. And we've settled on words essentially, which is, Within 0.75 correlates to tokens. But yeah, starting flat rate price, we offer services, free consulting to help people get traction and adopt and adopt it. And like I said, I've seen the, the biggest uptake in, with lawyers and legal use cases where it's just been, it's like, yeah, I'm not so sure I really want to start with this. And then suddenly it's, yeah, I want to upgrade all these models to GPT-4. I need more reasoning. I need larger documents. And so... Yeah, it's a constant, it's a new challenge, but I do like the usage-based model personally. And to that end, I think, you know, architecturally, we have to be more conservative. So vector databases go to an embedding before you would an LLM, for example, wherever possible. Do mm -hmm. a lot of cosine similarity searches and utilize cache data. So we're, we're all in this together. The ISVs and the end users are sharing the costs. And so I'm kind of early stages and how to be most efficient with that architecture. I really like this idea of translating tokens to just words, because every time when I think to explain tokens to business users, I see that this extra difficulty is not bringing any value to conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's just, like I said, with small to medium business, every every step of the sales cycle is a is either friction or it's moving it along. And if you have to get stuck on what is a token, how many tokens, how do I forecast the first year of utilizing AI? And it's, it's words is something they can grasp. You can do a demo and you could say, hey, your average, if we can deflect 50% of your support cases with an AI chatbot, and we can see that that takes about on average 300 words to do that deflection, then you can say, okay, well, this is something we can estimate, wrap our heads around, you know, our first year, of AI costs are going to be so many words, so much traffic. And so that math kind of works for some people. Exactly. But talking for a moment more about the pricing, besides of the fact that you charge per month per org, you have some limits of how many GPT AI generated words are included in specific packages, right? Is it like high technical limitation and how do you tackle this? Yeah, so part of being a usage-based model is we, we basically have three or four tiers. And so 
my goal would be someone starts down the path of AI and in the right tier, a small, medium, large, large shirt. If you're going into store and buying some clothes, you can't always get a perfect fit, but you can roughly get a small, medium, large. Start with a size that works, but that that tier does have pre-number of pre-built number of generative documents. I think our lowest tier you can generate 50 documents a day, or there's 250,000 words in an AI assistant. So, you know, we have to have some measurement. And, and by the way, we don't we don't have any caps. You can go over those. And in fact, you know, for seasonal type businesses and spiking of usage, we encourage people to go over those limits. And it's not until it's like two or three consecutive billing cycles that we say, oh, okay, so your, you know, your adoption is clearly taken off you're ready for the next tier. So those those caps or those limits you're referring to are, are very soft limits. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense because theoretically you can cut people out from your application, but usually we are happy that they are using it because then in the best scenario, you sell absolute email, right? Yeah. I mean, I have these fears of people using our chatbot to, you know, if they know it's actually GPT-4 model behind the scenes and someone figures it out and using it to do their homework or writing a thesis or essays. I mean, those, those kinds of things keep me up at night, but we, we just keep adding so many parameters to our AI models. You know, what are the max number of words? What are the max number of dialogues? And there are escalation trigger points in any serum application. A dialogue could reach a certain point and then automatically say, hey, I'm going to escalate you to a service agent. So we can do things like that to transition the the utilization of tokens to human experience automatically. That makes perfectly sense. And uh, I'm aware that as well, a dialogue help with document generation, right? But this part, I suppose is happening totally off platform or is it somehow connected with this AI assistant? Yeah, so content generation, generally we start with a template. So the outer chrome or frame is branded. There is some generalized paragraphs that are pre-written. And then that's interspersed with some merge template content, which I've always been fascinated with how do you actually create a one-to-one email or one-to-one quote or document with every single customer. And that is largely based on the data you collect. So if you have a web to lead form and you're asking for industry and basically you're looking for zoom info scale demographics on a customer. And then if you're in an account-based marketing, account-based sale environment where you're fairly certain you know the industry and enough parameters about a user, it's actually a pretty fascinating exercise to let GPT do the generative portion. You could say, here's the industry, here's the size, here's their, their objective, more importantly, and here's the mission of the, co- the company, and here's the communication I'm sending, and I want it no more than 100 words. And, you know, you could sit down and for every single industry, figure out how your product fits, or you could let GPT just kind of take a wild swing at it. And if there's enough grounding, and again, grounding is really key to get good outputs. But if there's enough grounding, 95% of the time, the, the generative content is, is really, really amazing. It's, 
Then you get into localization, globalization, write this email in the in the voice of Martha Stewart or in different languages. So generative AI is a new dimension where you can start thinking at, about all of your communications with, with customers. That's very interesting. And I'm curious in the same area about the accuracy of this documents analysis, because we made some proof of concept in Akiva when literally we are doing analysis of some longer text and we prepared a regression test model, which literally make the same prompt when we know what is the correct answer and send it on scheduled basis to OpenAI. And we found that for some cases accuracy is 100%, but in average it's rather closer to 80%, right? And I'm curious, first of all, how it looks from your perspective and does this kind of promissive hallucination is a blocker for going into some industries? Yeah, I think I understood the, the question roughly around processing of files and its accuracy and across industries. And yeah, it's a really good question. You know, we have an, an onboarding, a document room component to our dialogue where you can generate a, create a room and it's a private space. And we have customers using it for uploading documents. And this could be, you know, do they have the latest vaccination? Do they have the uh, valid driver's license? So when there is a human element to reviewing uploaded documents, it could be mortgage papers, you're typically, you're always looking to answer the same five questions, you know, or, or is it, has it been signed? Is the social security number valid? There's a number of these things. And the great thing with AI is you can, you can start with one element, not, I mean, the human is always going to be there to review and approve, but particularly with file, with file uploads, OCR is pretty good. I mean, that was one of the first AIs we implemented about five years ago. This is optical character recognition. And this recipe we've developed over time is actually a multi-stage pipeline where the document goes through OCR and text extraction, and then it goes through semantic and PII, natural language processing. And so we create all this metadata around a document. Then we add GPT, and that's just where the amazing magic is happening, where you're saying it's almost human-like, because we have created so much metadata around a document, it really just becomes a matter of the prompts. And we're at a stage now where few prompt models are are pretty much the norm. I mean, you can issue a quick query, like, is this signed? And I think that's a pretty natural place to start with one completion. We're at a stage now where the questions being asked of these documents are so rich and complicated that we actually have to walk the AI through a series of optimistic outcomes. And so here's a condition, here's how you should rationalize it. This is what a quantity is. This is how you produce a total price. You multiply the quantity times this. So you actually have to step through the AI in very elaborate detail. When you do that, what's called few shot prompting, is that coding? I don't know. I mean, it's that could be like the fourth generation of coding, but we, these documents get uploaded and, and it has sufficient training on how to walk through it. And yeah, I think we are absolutely with GPT 3.5 and 4 it's 90, 95% correct. And it's rationalizing and processing of those large documents. 
Awesome. And my point of view, because I have a presentation about PM engineering at Dreamforce, is that yes, few shortings already start counting as coding in the modern world. Michael, thank you a lot for sharing your insight with our audience and having time for us. Jakob, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so very much for tuning into this episode of AI Innovations Meets App Exchange. We hope you enjoyed the insightful discussion and found this episode valuable. To stay updated on our latest episodes, be sure to sign up for our newsletter and never miss a beat. If you have any questions or want to engage with us further, we'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Until next time, keep exploring the exciting world of AI and app exchange.